Hello and welcome to the Probe Dental Podcast. I'm James Cook and today I'm going to be joined by Paul Graham from Christie & Co. With growing demand for orthodontic treatment in the UK, now is a great time to capitalise on this timely opportunity and to consider buying a practice of your own. Of course, this spreads to dentistry as a whole, uh, and so Christian Co can help you there. Uh, offering invaluable insight, this podcast will offer an introduction to what it's all about, from why there is an orthodontic boom, as well as dentistry as a whole, how long it is likely to be with us, the kinds of issues a prospective practice owner needs to contemplate before taking a leap, uh, and Paul's going to answer all of our questions. Uh, Paul is the head of dental at Christian Co. He took on that role in 2019. Prior to that, he joined Christie back in 2014 on its corporal medical team and uh, became a director in 2017. He knows what he's talking about. This is a fantastic conversation here. Really looking forward to you hearing it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Paul Graham. I'm joined by Paul Graham. Paul, how are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thanks, James. Yourself? I'm very well, thank you. Good. Uh, Obviously, we're here today to talk about kind of consumer demand for straight teeth at the moment. So, um, you know, smile transformation has become a big thing, I think, particularly due to the pandemic. Mm. Uh, everybody, like we are right now speaking on Zoom, like are seeing their own reflection a lot more. Um, <laughs> how long do you think this boom is going to last? Very good question. The almost million dollar question as well. Um, I, I, you know, I think it's only gathering more and more pace, actually, James. I think those those practice owners that we're speaking to just now, who, you know, they're not necessarily on the market now to sell, but we we have relationships with them. We're kind of tracking the businesses and seeing how they're performing. Um, they're reporting back, um, you know, some significant um, patient inquiries. The marketing that's going behind the businesses just now is increasing. And it's and it's all just to cope with the the demand that that, that, that those operators are seeing. Um, you know, some of those operators who might have a single site are now thinking about expanding as well, looking at other regional hubs just to cope and and benefit from that demand. So it doesn't feel like it's going to switch off anytime soon. Brilliant. So obviously things are, are very busy at the moment. I mean, does. I guess, do you guys dabble in the NHS side of things as well? Has there, has there been an effect, like, like the backlog? Mm. We certainly do. Um, you know, in terms of the work that we do, we would act for a client who's selling. The client might have a single site. They may have a, a small portfolio or maybe a larger group. Um, and, and those businesses can range from core NHS to fully private or traditionally mixed practices. Um, those NHS practices are still an attractive proposition, but they are clearly still having operational challenges. And, and, and whilst it would be easy to think some of the private practices and cosmetic practices are performing well because of NHS access issues, um, I, I don't think it's that. It's, it's those private practices that are effectively not doing NHS treatments, they're doing high-end cosmetic treatments. So I think linking back to, to how you opened uh, this conversation, really, it's it's the Zoom boom. It's, it's people seeing themselves on camera a lot more, um, almost becoming a bit of an accidental saver as well. You know, they've not, they've perhaps not been on the family holiday, although some have managed to kind of sneak away. Um, or, or perhaps, you know, looking at treatments that would typically take place out of the UK, um, across Europe. 
are now staying within the UK. So the, the, the consumer spend um, for improving smiles is, is, is definitely increased. There's got to be a benefit as well if people are unable to go abroad where there's less regulations to get their teeth looked at as well. Yeah, very much so. So what are the main benefits for anyone listening who's thinking about becoming their own boss? Uh, you know, what might motivate dentists to take that leap into practice ownership? Hmm. I think there's a number of points. I think through the pandemic, it wasn't a new trend by any means, but when we were seeing associates inquiring about buying the practice or a practice, it was very much along the lines of securing their, their future within dentistry. I think the opportunity for those young associates who were probably looking at their principal at that time thinking, I mean, it's far from ideal. He or she's going through a lot of difficulties just now or challenges but the sectors being, particularly within the NHS, being propped up, um, or equally when those private practices reopened, how quickly they recovered. And I think if there's young and ambitious associates there who recognise that despite a pandemic, those businesses have managed to cope and adapt, they've been agile, I think that probably gives a degree of confidence in how robust those businesses are. Um, and so really, I think, encouraging to see the number of new entrants into the marketplace. Um, from an investor's perspective, um, I think the emphasis on healthcare in general throughout the pandemic has really helped. I think dentistry falls well within that, that, that camp. And when you see the, the, the corporate consolidators in the market just now, their ambitious buy and build targets, uh, they have more competition than ever before because of those independents who are, who are almost snapping at the heels to acquire those larger and, and quality practices as well. So, uh, you know, really, really buoyant marketplace at the moment. Kind of feels like the pandemic's been a perfect storm. I, I guess it started off, it's terrifying for all of us. Mm. Dentistry was, was closed for a few months, but it feels like since then, obviously you say with this boom, mm. now's as good a time as any to, if you're looking to start a new business, to, into it. Definitely. I think perfect storm is an interesting point, actually, because even when you look at the NHS with such a significant backlog, um, there's still some operators there who will lean and, and rightly so towards the NHS. It's an attractive proposition. And seeing a backlog of patients there is this kind of ready supply. And, and, and uh, you know, I think that that really helps underpin some of those businesses. Not to sound too opportunistic, I think there are still clearly operational challenges within those businesses um, through operating uh, standard operating procedures, various restrictions, um, depending on where you are in the, in the UK, um, still having to have enhanced levels of PPE. Um, but, but, but ultimately, you know, I think it's, 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 it's been a sector that's recovered well. Uh, it's a needs-based sector. And I think absolutely that the pandemic has emphasised the need for oral health. Absolutely. So if, if anybody is looking to become a first time buyer or first time practice owner, what are the main points they need to kind of consider to contemplate before making such a big move? Mm. Arguably, probably one of the biggest business decisions they'll ever make in their career. So I think it's, it's, it's easy to come out of or be newly qualified and, and rush into practice ownership. I think there's a step before that on, on is, is the location that you're in the place you want to spend the rest of your life? Do you want to live there, uh, have a house there, bring up a family there? 
And I, I think that those those kind of stepping stones for, for knowing that this is going to effectively become home and then build your empire around that is, is probably where I start. Um, e- equally, you know, I think that there's a number of uh, practice owners out there now who, who might look at back in their careers and think I got into practice ownership too quickly uh, and, and therefore or, or equally adding additional sites practice two practice three and just got too big too quickly and want to scale back so I think you know take, taking your time to see what's out there what's available um, and the type of demographic as well so depending if you want to do NHS dentistry or if there's demand for private dentistry as well all of these things are, are areas to consider it's it's areas that Christine Cole can assist with as well. I was, I was going to ask how, how would someone go about I guess doing the research that they need to do but you guys hmm. yeah I, I think keep an open mind um, is is a good position to be in so even if there's a practice that's on the kind of periphery or not quite right but you you kind of want to see how if that practice is going to be an option I think it's good to have that optionality just to keep your mind open um, and and view more than one practice as well you know, there's, there's an opportunity there knowing that you have a, a budget and the, the, the budget in mind um, is is not going to be um, putting you on there any under, any under financial pressure and, and get to a point of looking at practices that are within budget, within the location that you're looking for. Okay, the split of NHS or private or all private or all NHS might not be right, um, but, but, you know, viewing those and, and keeping your options open, I think is a good place to be. I think to step back to something else you mentioned as well, um, with people selling who may have opened too many practices, you know, too quickly. Mm. Would is there kind of a danger of if you were to buy one of those practices from them that the market's flooded in that area, or, or is there a kind of a potential reason that they have failed with it? That yeah, yeah, you know, good question. I think it's it's ultimately because I, I think those practice owners who have become multi-site owners with three or four practices. Um, we speak to those types of operators and then we speak to operators that have got 15, 16, 17 practices. And whilst there's quite a significant volume of practices in between, it, it's, it, you think the reverse of this, but it becomes easier the bigger you get. And actually having operationally those three or four practices can be a bit more of a challenge, particularly if you're still ha- you're not of a size and scale where you can step away from dentistry, you're still kind of keeping your hand in, you're effectively a, an associate in one of the practices and you're operationally trying to, to keep the other two practices running under management, uh, that, that can be really difficult. And, and so I think there's, there's, there's probably moments where we've seen that type of practice owner say, I just want to keep the, the original practice, my, my baby. I'll sell these two just to free up a bit more capital, a bit more time, less pressure. For a buyer of those those types of practices, you know, I don't think it's a, a concern and, and a thought that they're underperforming or in an area that's kind of flooded with competition. I, I think from a, a buyer's perspective, you probably look at those types of opportunities and think there's a there's a chance to grow. Perhaps, perhaps the owner has not had his or her eye on that practice perhaps it's not been running to its full capacity or potential and so for a new buyer coming in there's there's great potential to increase and improve the business I guess with that middle ground of you know kind of you said people have a lot of practices and they can kind of manage it all easier is it Mm -hmm. when people step up they're stretched too thin as well because they haven't got the manpower 
Yeah, I think there's many who get to a certain size and scale now and, and they start thinking of, or thinking more about the infrastructure around them to help them run those larger portfolios. When you're of that kind of small scale at, at three, four, five practices, you're not necessarily thinking of FD or chairman role or acquisitions director uh, because you think, well, I'm, I'm of a size where... I can almost manage doing that myself. And before you know it, you know, you're kind of doing a bit of HR, a bit of acquisition, a bit of dentistry. And that that that's that's a that, that I think that is when we see a lot of those types of operators say, I'm gonna scale back. Um, but look, don't get me wrong, those who go from that size to then group size, kind of what we classify as platform size, so kind of 10, 15, 20 practices. Once you're up at that scale, I think life becomes um, it still a challenge, but less of a challenge compared to the the, the, the smaller portfolio of practices because you have a, a support network around you at that point. So you're not stretched too thin anymore. Exactly, yeah. So what would you say are more popular, squat sites or existing practices? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. We, we, it, there was a kind of trend probably four or five years ago where the majority of practices, that, or the, there was a real buzz around squat practices. I think that's probably fair to say. Those who were seeing the market perform very well, prices were starting to increase quite significantly. And there was operators there that thought, okay, I, I don't want to jump on that ladder as the, the market's kind of bounding forwards. I'll create my own goodwill. That's not a cheap thing to do. It's not inexpensive and it's high risk. You know, almost if you look at the, 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 the site fit out, um, opening your doors on day one without any patients, you've got staff there, you've got equipment to pay for, HP costs to cover, all of those things and there's not a registered patient yet, is probably quite a, quite a scary moment. If it's an area that, that there's demand, there's, it kind of copes for that new practice going in, almost like kind of new, one of the, the new towns or a, a newly developed residential area, and there's a, a, a almost kind of high street parade of shops and you, you kind of fit in quite nicely to that. that you know, I think there's, there's opportunities there. There's probably less and less of those because they've already been filled, they've, they've, they've been catered for already. So I think in this current year, um, and, and certainly the trend that we've seen through last year, um, it, many were just buying exist, existing goodwill. And I think that gave security of cash flow. Um, you know, if anyone who's borrowing money from a bank, a high street lender, which is typically the case, Banks are very willing and keen to lend in the sector as well. So being able to, to, to have that traction, hit the ground running with existing goodwill, I think is more popular now compared to squat practices. It seem, squat practices seem to be, uh, or, or dwindling sounds a bit extreme, but, but far less in, in the marketplace compared to what we've seen before. Brilliant. So you touched on the banks just then as well and, and lending. So they're kind of quite willing to invest in this area at the moment to, to kind of loan. Definitely. I think there was a, a real observation through the pandemic from a lot of the high street lenders who still recognise and classified dentistry as a green light sector, a needs-based sector. Um, there was probably many, as, as we all did, kind of watching with bated breath on, on how 
the profession is going to navigate or circumnavigate out of the pandemic, particularly after the first lockdown where practices were effectively closed. But as soon as those practices were being um, topped up, receiving contract value minus abatement, you know, albeit activity levels were reduced, there was an element of security there. Um, and from a, a, a bank's risk assessment, that's obviously a, a, a safe place to be. I think kudos to the profession as well. When there was a second national lockdown later on in 2020, dentistry remained open. And I think from that moment onwards, we really seen the banks who were synonymous with the sector, who were actively lending in, in the dental market pre-COVID, come back quite significantly um, with, with a new offering. Um, you know, they were keen to lend again. And, and they, they have a book there to, to, to lend. So when they're looking at various commercial sectors, and you look at some sectors throughout the pandemic taking a, you know, going through a really tough time. Um, dentistry, not exempt to that by any means, but but certainly a lot more favourable compared to other commerce. Right. So there's obviously there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment with with the financial markets, uh, especially around Brexit. Obviously, we've got the energy crisis as well. Mm. None of this is sort of affecting dentistry so much. Well, I think Brexit has um, and, and will continue to do so. Um, you look at, at, I suppose, some of the, the, the cost increases in the months to come, particularly around national insurance, staff difficulties. These are all things that, that banks and, you know, even when we go back to buyers, when we look at the, who's acquiring, these are all observations that they will have in the marketplace just now. Um, I, th I think it's probably reassuring to note that it's not just contained to dentistry, though. You, know, you look at those other sectors that are feeling the pinch of staff shortages and, and Brexit issues, um, and, and, and dentistry are obviously suffering the same. I, well, I think there's a there's a element of optimism, uh, and whilst times are difficult just now. I think because the sector is so robust, um, I think the young entrepreneurs behind those businesses uh, are, are very successful at what they do. I think they'll find a way to, to navigate around that, become more agile, improve the businesses. Where costs increase, they'll find other ways to squeeze costs um, and, and those businesses will, will perform again. I think that they tend to be now underpinned back to the, the, the original point regarding the, the uptick in patient demand just now, I think having that fallback position is 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 quite a luxurious place to be. You know, at least that safeguards the the, the flow of income. So definitely. I mean, is there anything a prospective buyer, a prospective practice owner, could do to improve their chances of reaching an agreement with a lender? Yeah, I think um, preparation's key. Uh, it's important to. To, to build that relationship. Um, and I would suggest always via, this is going to sound like a shameless plug for a moment, but but via a reputable finance broker, you know, someone like Christie Finance, a, a sister company of Christie & Co, who have specialist dental brokers in the sector, know who at various lenders, who the right person is to speak to, um, can prepare that application for, for proposed lending, um, can do... Uh, cash flow work and business plan statements just to show uh, experience and, and give confidence to the, the, the bank that uh, the proposition in question is, 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 
you know, all going to be correct and proper. Fantastic. So is, are there any kind of parting words you'd give to anybody thinking of buying and, and also anybody thinking of selling currently as well? Yeah, I think probably that I'll address the latter first. I think those who are thinking about selling, um, I'm, I'm kind of acutely aware that they might not be aware of how buoyant the market is just now. And I say that with respect because they're probably worrying about their own businesses, particularly within the NHS. Private practice owners are probably enjoying some of the best times they've ever had just now in terms of uptick in income. Um, but but while some may still see challenges there, none of that is filtering through to the buyer market. There are more buyers than, than there is supply. So that's a great place to be if you're a seller. Now, turning that question around from a buyer's perspective, equally that's that gives confidence that what you're buying is in high demand, but with high demand means competition. So I, I think, you know, there's a moment to be prepared, have your specialist advisors all lined up, your accountant, solicitor, um, and, and finance broker at that point, and, and be prepared to offer on a practice and don't feel downbeat by missing out on that practice. You know, something else will become available. Um, and, and ultimately have confidence in what you're, what you're about to, to purchase and, and build, which is hopefully a very successful business. And finally, anybody listening, if they'd like to find out more uh, and also to hear more from yourself, Paul, where can they find you? Where can they find Christine? Yeah, fantastic. Um, at any point, anyone who wishes to register with Christine Co and look at the practices that we have available for sale or more information can find so on our website at christie.com or feel free to email me directly at paul.graham at christie.com as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us today, Paul. My pleasure. Thank you, James.